Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. through our 31-week journey through the story. And if you're anything like me, uh, up to this point, you may be pretty familiar with the stories uh, of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Exodus, all the way up to even King Solomon. Those are stories that are familiar to me. And and if you're not, if this is your first time or or you're new to the story of Scripture, we are thrilled that you're joining us. And uh, your insights and your groups, I know, are helping those of us who've seen these for a long time because the Spirit speaks through all of us in these seasons. But this part that we're about to come up to in the middle of Scripture, between Solomon and the birth of Jesus, those are parts I need to be reminded of. And uh, I'm finding uh, this week and and in the weeks to come that these are going to be very relevant messages to what's going on uh, in our world. After King Solomon's reign, God's people, the nation of Israel, has been divided into two parts, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. We talked about that last Sunday. And during that division, there are 38 kings that make up the time uh, of the divided or the kingdom as a whole of Israel when the kings begin uh, over all of Israel uh, and Judah as well. And only five of those 38 kings are determined to be righteous by the story of Scripture. Pretty remarkable. Today's chapter focuses on that northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom has a reign of 208 years before they are overtaken and uh, sent into exile. There are 19 kings who reign in Israel, the northern portion, during those 208 years. And uh, have a guess about how many of those are described as righteous in the eyes of the Lord. The answer is zero. Zero of the 19 kings. And here's where I want to remind you of a principle that I shared with you earlier on as Israel asked God for a king. Now, kings certainly set the tone for Israel. Things go better when Judah, at least, experiences a righteous king. But kings are not as important as even the prophets who speak truth in the midst of challenging times to Israel and to the people in the midst of those unrighteous kings. In the northern kingdom during those 208 years, there are nine prophets. And today's chapter focuses on four of those prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Amos and Hosea. Now, Israel may not have listened to these warnings of these prophets, but I hope you'll listen. Because the truths they spoke back then are still words that need we need to be challenged by today. Let us pray as we open God's word this morning. Oh God, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you. We long for you. 
in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, we desire your presence in this place. We desire your word to be spoken to our lives right now in this moment. I pray this morning as we open these words written centuries ago, that you would speak as if they were as relevant as ever to our lives through your Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your copy of the story with you, we're in page 215. And if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 4. Hosea is the prophet of God that is raised up near the end of that 208-year reign in the northern part of Israel. He was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. And these are some of the words that you may have uh, may recognize from your reading this week if you were able to read ahead. In, again, the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. I read those weeks, words uh, about two weeks ago, not knowing how relevant those would sound in a week like this. And then in Hosea 5, verse 4, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. That phrase will be really important that Hosea speaks. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. Now, Hosea has the credibility to use a phrase such as that. I'll come back to why in a moment. But a few months ago, we read the story of King David. And King David has a prophet named Nathan who comes to him after his affair and after the murder that happens of the woman he's had the affair with, the the husband, Uriah. And Nathan's job is an impossible job. It's Nathan's job to tell the truth to the king, knowing that his life may be at risk if he speaks the truth that David thinks he's covered up. You remember how he confronts him in this story? He tells a story. He tells a parable. And it goes like this. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing but a little ewe lamb. But the poor man, he loved that lamb and cared for it. And there was a traveler that came to the rich man, but instead of taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for his guest. And David is furious, and rightly so. How would someone do such a thing? And then Nathan turns around in the midst of his fury and he says, David, you are that man. And David realizes that his secret has been revealed. It's a brilliant use of story. Nathan is doing what a prophet is called to do. He's telling the truth that David doesn't want to hear. And let me tell you, Hosea is doing the same thing in his time. Hosea is telling a truth that Israel doesn't want to hear. And let me let you in on a little secret. Hosea is telling a truth that we need to hear in 2021. But Hosea's parable isn't just a story he tells. No, Hosea's truth will come through his marriage. His life is the parable that he speaks. Now, here's the deal. Hosea is called by God to speak a word of warning to Israel. But before God gives him his message to deliver to Israel, God has one task that he wants Hosea to accomplish. The challenge is this, go and marry a prostitute 
and have kids, and then I'll give you a message to speak to the people of Israel. Now, be careful when you pray the prayer, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Because I got to tell you, I'm glad this wasn't my calling story, right? My calling happened on on a golf course with a mentor that encouraged me to think about my life and think about uh, what I'm good at and what God may be calling me to. I like that much better than this example of calling. When I think of Hosea, my mind goes to preacher search processes. Some of you uh, were on the search process when I came here. Maybe you've been part of minister search processes at other points. Imagine yourself on the, on the search team at a church who's looking for a new preacher. You receive all the resumes and you believe one candidate is clearly God's choice on paper. So your team invites uh, he and his wife to come in for an interview weekend. But when he shows up, his wife doesn't exactly meet up to your expectations. It's a little rough around the edges. Her top's a bit revealing and her skirt length wouldn't be appropriate for a four foot, ten uh, inch tall person. So in a private moment, one of the search committee members works up the courage to ask the candidate about his wife and the candidate openly reveals that she was a prostitute and she still dabbles in her old life from time to time. He says, don't worry though, God told me to marry this woman. You think he would get hired in any of our churches? Now, why? Why would God ask Hosea to marry a prostitute. It's obvious in the book of Hosea that his experience with his unfaithful wife, Gomer, points to all kinds of parallels to God's experience of unfaithfulness with his people, Israel. Yahweh cannot trust his message to just any old prophet. He needs a prophet who can empathize with betrayal. Yahweh needs a prophet who can proclaim the words of jealousy and rage because he has personally experienced those feelings. And I think we all understand why. Because there's something about Hosea that makes us lean in and listen a little bit closer to the words that are coming out of his mouth. They're words that cannot be learned in a book or in a seminary classroom. No, Hosea's words are the words of experience. He's earned the right to call out Israel for her unfaithfulness. He's earned the right to say that they have a spirit of prostitution. Hosea has ethos. Hosea isn't just talking about unfaithfulness, he's married to her. And like Israel, Hosea and Gomer's story isn't the ancient version of pretty woman. There's no happy ending here. Gomer remains promiscuous even after the wedding vows are committed to. It's awful. And it gets so bad that Hosea decides to go and pay for his wife's services. And he pleads with her, I love you, I want you to come back home. Now what kind of spouse would put up with that kind of abuse? What husband would pay for a night with his wife just to express his love once more? Now, some of you may be wondering if you read the wrong chapter in the story this week, because all of this story wasn't shared as you read along, but there was a section that was read from Hosea, one of the prophets in Israel at this time. It was a section of scripture of of prophecy that he writes in his book. So the story wasn't in your reading exactly, Much of this chapter focused on the story of Elijah and Elisha. And I want to talk a bit about Elijah this morning. It's a good thing that Elijah is around because King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are one evil set of monarchs. Just listen to uh, how these two are introduced in the book of 1 Kings chapter 16. 16 verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. 
He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Put simply, Ahab and Elijah are not going to get along. Because is not pursuing, Ahab is not pursuing the ways of God and Elijah has a commitment, a calling to speak against that. By the time we come to 1 Kings chapter 18, tensions are high. Listen to this in, in chapter 18, verse 16, as we come to today's story. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab, uh, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Ahab thinks Elijah is the problem. And Elijah makes it clear that no, Ahab, it's actually your idolatry that is the problem in this situation. It's your worship of Baal that is the problem. And so we're way past the point of reconciliation between these two key leaders in the country at that time. The the tension is growing to the point that a conflict is inevitable. And Elijah wants to know where the hearts of the people of Israel are. He's not so concerned about Ahab and Elijah at this point. His question comes to the people of Israel. And maybe our own people today. He wants to know, are they serving and worshiping Yahweh, the God of Israel, or are they serving and worshiping Baal? 1 Kings 18, verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. How long will you waver between two opinions? But the people said nothing. That's there at the end of verse 21. But the people said nothing. Nothing. Let me clarify something. Our God insists on exclusive loyalty. He is not okay with sharing his throne. He is a God who won't settle for dual loyalties in our lives. The greatest danger for most of us isn't that we would stop worshiping God and we would go on to worship other idols. No, the greatest concern or danger is that we would worship God and continue to hold on to other idols that support us. That's the issue in this story. The people of God won't decide between Yahweh and Baal. And the text says the people said nothing. And by saying nothing, they say everything. When God made a covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai, they were committing to a relationship. At Mount Sinai, it's as if the people of God and God himself are married in this scene. There's a covenant ceremony. You can almost hear the covenant language in the first commandment. You shall have no other God's before me. In other words, you shouldn't have to choose in the future which God you serve. It sounds a bit like, will you forsake all others and be faithful to him or her as long as you both shall live? It's wedding language. It's the language of covenant. And Israel can't seem to stay faithful to their vows. Time after time, they're led away to other lovers. They want an open relationship 
They don't want to have to decide between Yahweh and Baal. So Elijah removes the choice of wavering. He decides, why don't we have a contest? A contest is to settle which God is God. And this is the contest that he suggests in 1 Kings 18, verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you will call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And he picks this fire making contest for a reason because Baal is known as the God of thunder and storms. In fact, you'll sometimes see Baal uh, depicted with a lightning bolt in his hand. Shouldn't have any trouble with this kind of uh, contest. If there's anything Baal is an expert at, it's making fire. But in the end, Baal doesn't show up. No matter how loud they shout or how much blood they spill, Baal is nowhere to be found. And this is always the way it is with false gods or idols. You can scream all you want, but there will be no response. So Elijah gets his chance. He steps up and he calmly prays to God and the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. And the people who said nothing just moments before respond in this way in verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now the stories of Hosea and Elijah are vastly different stories. They're even different literature, right? Hosea, we see mostly uh, these words of prophecy that come down, this prose, this word from God. The story of Hosea is, is different. It's or the story of Elijah is different. It's a story, it's a story, it's a narrative, it's historical in its uh, telling. Elijah is decidedly a safer story for vacation Bible school, wouldn't we say? But the parables, parallels are remarkable. Israel covenanted to be in relationship, a, a marriage with God, but over the years they had strayed. Their eyes had wandered, they had pursued other lovers, they had sought their security in other places. And yet, in spite of Israel's adultery and prostitution, God keeps pursuing Israel. Earlier, as I was reflecting on Hosea's persistent pursuit of Gomer, I asked a question. What spouse would put up with this kind of abuse from Hosea that Hosea puts up with from Gomer? What husband would pay for a night with his wife just for a chance to express his love and hope she might return? And the answer is, That's exactly what God does with us over and over again. Imagine that. The God of the universe wants relationship with us so desperately that he will overlook our unfaithfulness and show his continual faithfulness to the covenant that he has committed to. Now the prophets in the north, they share a warning. Elijah and Elisha and Amos and Hosea. And it comes out a little bit different. They all say it in their own way, but these are the words that come from those four prophets. From Elijah, how long will you waver between two opinions? From Elisha, open your eyes so that you can see the God who fights for you. From another, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. And finally, 
return to the Lord your God. These warnings are not just for Israel. These warnings continue to be for us. So hear the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we have not been faithful. We have desired to put our security and our hope in other things. We haven't wanted to make a decision between the two. And God, this morning we've already had a time of lament, a lament for our communal sin, a time of lament for our personal sin. And for me, that was a moving moment, something we don't do near enough in our services. We're not just here at some kind of conference to pick up a word that we can post on social media. God, we're here to encounter you and to be called back to faithfulness to you. And so each Sunday when we gather around our living room and we watch and worship, or that we gather here at 703 South Greenville, God, we come together, whether we know it or not, to hear a word from you so that we might respond faithfully. And God, I pray in this season that your church would do just that. That we would not look around at all the evil in the world and wonder why the darkness is so dark, but we would take a look at ourselves and wonder, are we lighting up as we should in the darkness? And so God, we are tired of the search for another lover, God, that would be enough. What we commit to again today is to realize that our first love in you is what we need to return to. And so, God, today we don't waver between opinions. We choose. Today we realize that just as you burned up that sacrifice on Mount Carmel, uh, you show signs all around us that you are fully God. God, my prayer this morning is that we would be faithful stewards of your message, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be the most important story and message in our lives that would shape our lives. And that the waters of baptism that many of us have made a decision to come into and others might choose to here in in the days to come that those waters of baptism would orient us for the kind of life we are committing to live and that we would faithfully follow that commitment in days such as these. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, the one in whom we put our hope and our trust. And all God's people said, amen. Be standing now as we close our time this morning. Church, my blessing over you, my reminder over you from these words today is may we not waver between two opinions, but may we choose this day whom we will serve. And may that commitment be seen by everyone that we encounter. May the love of God, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ be with all of us today. Go in peace today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.